You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues indeed. The hour is coming whenever whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Father, for these words. And Father, we ask that you would give us attentive minds this morning, that, Father, you would give us fruitful minds this morning. You would open our minds and our hearts to your word and that you would instruct us, Father, and instruct us in such a way, Father, as that we would align our hearts with these truths, Father, that we would take these truths to heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said several times through this study, you know, when you get out here in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's really easy to forget that this is all the same night that all these things are taking place. It's easy to lose track of that. And um, again, I just want to remind us, what is Jesus doing? He's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's, in other words, we could put it another way. He's preparing his disciples for his absence. And I, I have been helped greatly in this text by skipping to chapter 16 and verse 1. If you go to chapter 16 and verse 1 and you read those words, Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, this helps because we ask the question, well, what things? Well, the things we're about to study, Jesus has shared with his disciples. For what purpose? To keep them from falling away. Now, as an aside, before we go any further, let's... Let's process that with something that we've already been studying. Uh, On two separate occasions, I've brought up eternal security, right? 
And we've talked about eternal security. So we could ask the question, wait a second, if we're eternally secure, how is it that Jesus is concerned that his disciples could fall away? You follow me? That'll make you scratch your head, huh? There's a lot of things in Scripture that make you scratch your head, is there not? Um, I think the best way is to take you just through a couple of texts. Um, let's, let's start just briefly with Romans 8. And many of you consider Romans 8 to be one of your favorite passages of Scripture. Romans 8, and especially verses 38 and 39. 38 and 39. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, Romans 8, favorite passage of Scripture. There's good reason for that. There's really good reasons for that. If you look at verses 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul, the author of Romans, says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, there's a strong passage right there that teaches eternal security. Um, a very strong passage. But the same apostle who writes verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8 also writes, and if you keep turning to the right, go past First and Second Corinthians, go past Galatians and Ephesians to Philippians, to Philippians chapter 2, and look at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I think everyone's found their place. Same apostle who wrote Romans 8 writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, all, uh, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you remember, um, I think it's J.I. Packer who said that theological truths are often like coins. There's a head and there's a tails. And this truth is no different. On the divine side, we're eternally secure. I mean, um, and we can say to ourselves, we can say, listen, if we could have fallen away, we already would have, wouldn't we? I, I, would, I wouldn't be standing here this morning if it was only left up to my own strength. But that having been said, I'm not free to just go do whatever I want. I mean, if we're not free to go play fast and loose with sin, are we? So Scripture is a line and arrayed with a number of warning passages. And we have to keep all of these truths, if you will, in balance. And with this in mind, let's go back to John chapter uh, 16, and let's look at verse 1 again, where Jesus here, uh, he is saying, you know, that he is sharing these things with his disciples to keep them from falling away. Now, if we will turn forward just a little bit to John 17, and we're just going to get a preview of what's to come as we continue studying, but there we have Jesus' high priestly prayer. 
Uh, Jesus is now, the disciples are now in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested, and he's praying to the Father. And he says in verse uh, 14, if you will, I have given them your word. Jesus speaking to his Father in regards to his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but should you keep them from the evil one? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the, tru- in, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for your sake, I, I consecrate myself, and, and uh, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for us too. So I read down that far. I wanted us to see that as well. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is doing the same thing as the Apostle Paul, is he not? He's calling on the Father to keep his disciples. Okay, that, that truth is being held up. Is there any danger that this prayer may go unanswered? There's absolutely no danger of that. Uh, There's no danger of that whatsoever. However, Jesus himself is still preparing the disciples for what's ahead. You follow where I'm going here? Even though, in other words, Jesus doesn't just pray in the garden. He also takes these measures to prepare. Do you follow me? Now, what measures does he take to prepare? Back to John 15, if you will. In verse 17, these things I command you that you will love one another. It's a transition sentence. Now, in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, why is Jesus saying that to the disciples? Because Jesus, for the most part, up until now, has been what we often call the lightning rod, right? What is the lightning rod? The lightning rod is hopefully that, that device that if your house is struck by lightning, it's the device that's going to diffuse all that energy and keep your house from burning down. Um, and sometimes we use the word, we use a lightning rod uh, as a, a, a statement that the, the lightning rod is the one who's going to take the brunt of the force, if you will. And you think about all the various contests that Jesus' enemies uh, approach him with. A lot of times they start by picking on the disciples, but they quickly end up having to face off with Jesus, don't they? It's kind of like mama bear. You go pick on the cubs. It's not going to be very long before you're not going to be picking on cubs no more. You're going to be picking on mama bear. Not wise to do, right? But Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, for his for his absence. Okay, now as these contests come, he's preparing them. You think about how disillusioned it can be. And what he's preparing them for is one of the hardest things, I think, in being faithful to the gospel in any culture, whether it be our culture or whatever culture, and that is scorn. Isn't scorn difficult? Do you find scorn to be done? Now, some of us are going to find more difficulty with that than others. Uh, we have, I think for the most part, we have built into us this kind of disposition where we prefer to be liked. 
Is there anybody here this morning who says, no, not me, man. <laughs> I don't want to be liked by nobody, man. I just, I just don't care to be liked at all, you know? Um, there's people that talk that way. Um, but for the most part, most of us have a strong desire. Now, that can be an idol. We can, we can make that an idol, and that's a subject for another sermon. We got a lot of verses to get through here. But, um, but there's still an innate desire, and I would say a godly desire. There's a godliness to this that we desire to be liked. Why do we desire to be liked? Because God has created us in the first part to exist in love. And love involves being liked, doesn't it? We love each other and each other, you know, we love another and another loves us, correct? So, you know, this isn't all bad. Well, scorn is contrary to that, isn't it? I mean, it's really contrary to that. And think about it. Jesus departs. He goes, he's the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And we begin doing this work. We're his disciples. Off we go. We begin to do this work. And everywhere we're met, we're met with this fierce opposition. It wouldn't be long before you could be wondering is, God, are you really in this thing? Are you really in this thing? And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, if the world hates you, you need to remember something. It hated me before it hated you. Now, here is a stinging, a stinging analysis of the fallen human heart, isn't it? Before we pass over this, and, and we're going to see this, this thread is actually threaded through the whole thing here. It's a stinging indictment against the disposition of the fallen human heart or the unbelieving human heart. A lot of times we think belief is something we can take or we can leave. We think it's relatively neutral, but it's not. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying that the world hates him. Is he not? Isn't that what he's saying? Now, if you run around preaching this, as you well know, this doesn't digest very well, does it? And in fact, it's going to be met with some opposition. Probably the best of opposition would be, you know, that's really a harsh statement. You, you mean to tell me that you believe that me, Joe, unbeliever, that I hate Jesus? I don't have nothing against Jesus. I, Jesus is fine. He can do whatever he wants. I'm just going to do whatever I want. But don't be telling me I hate him. That's, that, is, that is harsh. Whereas others might even go to far, as far as to say, that sounds like hate speech. You need to knock it off. Now, we need to be prepared for that. Because that's not easy, is it? It's really not. Because sometimes you start to think, wait a second, maybe I should tone this down a little bit. Maybe it does sound excessively harsh. But before we go there, let's think this through for a minute. Is it harsh? We can make it harsh. I'm assuming we're not doing that. Let's not add to anything here, okay? Let's not take a difficult message and make it less digestible. I'm assuming that's not happening. But let's ask ourselves, is this a harsh statement? Well, let's analyze it for a moment. Let's analyze it this way. Let's analyze it by asking ourselves, whose message is it? Whose words are these? Well, they're the words of Jesus. Is Jesus excessively harsh? Well, we can dismiss that immediately, can we not? Yet he made these statements. So, what do we conclude from that? That these statements aren't in and of themselves excessively harsh. In fact, let's go, let's go to the other side. 
where someone might say, this sounds like hate speech. Is this hate speech? Well, again, let's think about whose message it is. Is it spoken from someone who hates humanity? What's Jesus about to do here? Within the hour, most likely, he's going to be arrested. And then he's going to endure something that we can't even even begin to imagine. And I'm only talking about the trial. I'm not talking about the, the beating and the crucifixion and all that. Could you imagine just sitting around? You're, you're, you're in sinless perfection, and you're sitting around while all these people accuse you of doing the very thing that you hate the most. They're accusing you of blaspheming against the Father. The one thing that Jesus would hate the very, very most, and he sits there silent. Think about that. And then later, of course, he takes a beating and he goes to the cross and he dies for the sins of humanity. There has never been a person, there's never been one who loves humanity more than Jesus, yet these words are his. So when we hear and when we leave here, we're going to be bombarded with that same old message and that same old message is this. Everybody's basically good. We just need a little education. We just need a little help. We just need a little, a little nudge in this area, a little nudge in that area. We're all basically good. And I always chuckle and laugh when that message comes at the end of the news because of the news you're watching for 25 or 30 minutes, the worst things that have happened on the planet, and then it's, it's concluded. Like, they don't want to end on this. Let's end on something happy. And they show how humanity is really good, basically good. You know, wait a second. What about the last half hour of programming? What do we do with that? We should know just by watching that something's wrong here, and we do know that something's wrong here. And, and keep in mind, what's wrong here is these people are saying peace, peace, when there's no peace. That's the message. It's the message of the Old Testament false prophet. It's the message of the Old Testament false priest and false leader who proclaimed to Israel peace, peace, when there was no peace. And that's what they're saying. And they're saying, listen, you don't, it even, it even comes floods into the church and the church growth movement. Rick, these are verses you want to stay away from if you want to build a big church. People don't like this too much. Is that loving, withholding this information? You withhold this information for a couple of generations and you end up with a culture that has no idea why they need Jesus at all. That's loving? Boy, let's take a leaf out of the Savior's book here. What is loving is communicating this truth to people in love. That is what's loving. We have, to, we have to close our ears to that objection that this is harsh. Let's not make it harsh. We can go out and make it harsh and be sinning and doing that. I really believe in our current culture, we really have to work and labor to earn the right to be heard in people's lives in order to be able to communicate this properly. Uh, we have to invest in people. And we have to share this truth. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Why? Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why does the world, why does the world hate you? Jesus has already talked about this. If you turn back to John chapter 7, it was a long time ago when we were all the way back there. But if you look back to John chapter 7 and verse 7, I think it's verse 7. Yes, John 7, verse 7. Now, Jesus is speaking to his brothers, and by the way, his brothers aren't believers. 
This is something, this is a message in itself here. This is, this is, let's process this for a moment. Jesus has lived and grown up in this house and there are still unbelievers in it. And we want to beat ourselves up because we haven't converted our entire families. Let me process that for a minute. We want to beat ourselves up because we haven't single-handedly converted our entire families. And here Jesus is speaking to his brothers. If you look, um, the Feast of Jews of Booths was at hand, verse 2, verse 3. So his brothers, this is who Jesus is speaking to, his brothers. They, they don't believe. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus says, I bring this up because Jesus says, the world cannot hate you. Who is that? His unbelieving brothers. They cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Listen, this happens to some of you when you don't even say a word. When you don't even speak in utterance, just when you walk into certain company, this is happening. Why? Because, because of your value system that you cast, because of the light that is reflected from you, because of, because of the fact that you belong to Jesus. What does all that do before we even say a word? What does all that do? It's shining light on darkness. Darkness doesn't like light shining on it. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? The light is shining in the darkness, but the darkness, what? Did the darkness like that? No, it doesn't like that. We don't like being reminded of the fact that the things that we love to do are evil. And we certainly don't want it to be uh, insinuated that we are evil. And that's where the world's at. It's where the world is at. So Jesus is saying in verse 19, back to John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as, as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Your value system is no longer the way it used to be. The things that you love to do are no longer those things and, uh, that they used to be. Uh, this is all changed. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. We've, re we've come across that statement before, haven't we? In John 13, when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And in that context, he's saying, listen, a servant is not greater than the master. And what he's making reference to is, if I, your master, am willing to, uh, willing to stoop down and do this lowly task, you have no excuse. We have no excuse. I have no excuse. So he's casting it in the context of humility, right? If I, your master, think about it, and that, that's an amazing thing that the Son of God, very God of very God, would put a towel around his waist and stoop down and wash the feet of his disciples. But he did, didn't he? And what is he saying to us? Well, if the, if the master is willing to do this, I mean, it is inexcusable for us not to be willing to do this, Right? Now, Jesus is doing the same thing here when he says, listen, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This is such a timely, I love preaching through the books, you know. And what's amazing about preaching through the books is, first of all, I don't have to sit around and decide what's the next thing that we need to hear. I don't have the wisdom for that. 
You know, I don't have the wisdom for that. I will tell you in my own prayer life, I say that to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what people, I don't, I just, this is above my, this is, I don't have knowledge of what's going on in people's hearts and minds. And even if I did, I wouldn't know what to drop in there. Lord, speak in such a way that we hear what we need to hear when we need to hear it. Give us, give us the words, Lord, give me the words. And what's amazing is here we're, we're finding persecution flaring up in these, per, in these pregnancy centers. And I'm thinking about all this and thinking about all this. And here, look where we're at in our, in our text. I see this time and time again where how the Holy Spirit works and brings us providentially to a place. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, if you find yourself persecuted, don't think something strange is happening to you. Again, it's easy to get lost in all these details and think, what's Jesus up to? Chapter 16, verse 1. He's sharing these things so that you don't fall away. In your first context, he's sharing these things so the disciples don't fall away. But these principles apply to us, don't they? If you find yourself persecuted, don't think something strange is happening to you. Remember that Jesus was persecuted. I love what he does in verse 20. Look at the grace he gives us in verse 20. You know, he, he, he could have ended and went right to verse 21, but he didn't. He put that last sentence there. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. What's he saying? That would give you a lot of hope, especially if you went through months and months and months of everybody just rejecting your message and persecuting you for it you would have this sentence to hold on to. You know, not everybody persecuted Jesus. Not everybody rejected Jesus. And, you know, some of the noise that I've been making as we've gone along and study, the more I study the Gospels, the more I'm convinced there were a lot more disciples of Jesus than we often give credit for. I think there were a lot more disciples than what we know about. The record, is, uh, the record in that is not all that broad, by the way. So I think there were a lot more than, than what we think. And, but the fact is, not everybody rejected Jesus, and that's what he's pointing to. We can think of Matthew and all his sinful buddies, and Jesus eating in the midst of all of them. And then the religious uh, people coming along and saying, what are you doing eating with the likes of them? What are you doing hanging out with them? Well, the them, they weren't rejecting Jesus, nor were they persecuting him. And Jesus is calling this to attention to say, listen, you're going to get persecuted. The world's going to hate you. But there's going to be some people actually going to listen to you. Remember, they listen to me. If they listen to me, they're going to listen to you. Isn't that a comforting thought? I mean, if you really desire to follow Jesus here, it should be a comforting thought. Not everybody is going to reject the message. And I can tell you right now, not everybody does reject the message. If everybody rejected the message, how could it be that we have a Bible study going on in the park tomorrow? And I would say, you know, a Bible study that's growing in its intensity. I mean, people are just, you know, there's one woman that's coming to the Bible study, and she's got bookmarkers and all these passages I've been bringing up to her. You know, I gave her a Bible, and she's, she's putting bookmarkers. She's got little pieces of paper about this big. I think she's taken a piece of paper this way, and she's cut it into lengths. And she writes a verse on it, and she, that's her, just her way. That, you know, I suggested she gets a notebook, but she goes, no, 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 this will work. And I was thinking, before long, you're going to have, this Bible's going to need a haircut. <laughs> and it does. She comes in, and there's just, there's just stuff hanging out everywhere. And she's got it all figured out. And, but her zeal, her growing zeal, she's not rejecting Jesus. 
She is really enjoying this. And that's, see, that's the case. We need to keep that in mind. We might get rejected for two or three months on end, but we're not going to get rejected by everybody. And we're going to see more about that here in a few minutes. If you look at verse 21, all these things they will do to you on account of my name. It's important that we always remember this. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about you. This persecution, this hatred ultimately isn't hatred towards you so much as it's hatred of me. When he says my name in that, in that section, on account of my name, name here is pointing to every aspect of Jesus Christ. It's pointing to his, his person, his work, everything. And I, that's why I've titled this um, message after verse 23. Um, he says, uh, or not verse 23, um, We'll get to it here in a minute. Uh, Verse 25, sorry about that. They hated me without a cause. You see that right there? Jesus is quoting from the psalmist, and there's a debate whether he's quoting from Psalm 69 or Psalm 35. Um, You know, it was one of the reasons why I chose Psalm 69 this morning is because it's, he's probably quoting from both, I think. And you know how it is when, well, sometimes when you have this choice, this ultimatum, whether you, you have to choose one or the other, there are many times um, uh, um, you, you don't have to make the choice, you know? And I always like it when you don't have to make the choice, you know? You, you read these debates between, oh, he's, he's talking about Psalm 69 for this reason. He's talking about Psalm 35 for this reason. I don't see for the life of me why I can't say he's quoting from the Psalter. Because this is coming up in, in multiple levels here. I think he's quoting, he probably, why couldn't you have Psalm 35 in mind and Psalm 69 in mind at the same time? Why couldn't he have both of these in mind? I think he does. But look at the truth here. Nevertheless, they hated me without a cause. That's the title of this morning's message. They hated me without a cause. You know, he says in, in verse 21, all these things that will do to you, not, not so much, you know, the pregnancy centers and what have you, everybody who's facing this persecution. Ultimately, this contest is really not about the people that are in the, uh, Lisa and her friends and the people that are in these uh, pregnancy centers. The, con- the, the, the conflict is much bigger than that. They hate Jesus. That's what this is really about. Uh, they hate Jesus. And in verse 22, look what Jesus says. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying, okay, if he wouldn't have come and spoken to them, they would be sinless and perfect. Is that what he's saying? We know better than that. Certainly not. But what he is saying is the truth. One of the very first things that I found my own heart being convicted by, you can turn there if you want, But very early on, when I first started really studying the Gospels, Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, you know, in the second sentence, at least in the ESV, there's a a truth that's put forth in this verse that says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. I can remember being so convicted of that, thinking of all of the ways that God has blessed me. And for all those years rebelling against him. You know, he, he continually has blessed me, and I've continually met his blessings with, with rebellion. 
you know, thinking through. I can remember this verse really, really hitting my heart, this truth really hitting my heart. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's the principle here going on in John uh, 15, verse 22. If you go back there, he said, if I had not come and spoke to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse. And verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. What is Jesus talking about? Well, uh, these people have seen his miracles. You know, tomorrow in the kitchen, one of the uh, texts we're going to be looking at, is, Lord willing, is from Mark chapter 3. I think it's verses 7 through 12 where you see Jesus' his popularity has just grown, where people are coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is... Which is uh, uh, really largely Gentile lands coming in from the south in Idumea, coming up and, and coming from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. They're coming to see Jesus. They're coming from all over the place to see Jesus because they're hearing about all the healing. And, and that's the passage, you know, where, uh, where Jesus asks the disciples to get a boat. He gets in a boat to keep from getting crushed by the people who are trying to gather around him and, and touch him so that they could be healed. Um, the point is, they heard his teaching. They saw his miraculous works, or at the very least, they heard about his miraculous works. And what's amazing about that is no one contests them. No one says, oh, those works are just phony. That's just a, he's just a charlatan. He's just a magician. They don't contest them. Nobody contested his works. Everybody recognized. Uh, he did these things, and they're flocking to get to him. And this is what Jesus is pointing to here. He says, listen, if I had not come and spoke to the, the truth to them, they heard his preaching, and they said he taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. They were amazed by his teaching, and they saw his works. And what did it do? When they met all of these blessings with a hard heart, and they met all of these blessings with rejection, it increased their culpability. That's what Jesus is talking about. It made them more guilty. It made them more guilty. And that's why he says, listen, verse 25, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. It's just hatred. Now, verse 26, when the helper comes, oh, good time for the helper to show up. That's the Holy Spirit. This is a good time in the sermon for something to show up, isn't it? Please, something show up. Well, the helper is here in verse 26. The helper, Jesus says, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father and the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Look at this little line right here. We were talking about this Friday night, weren't we? He will bear witness about me. Aha. It's so easy to forget about this. And maybe we've never even known about it. You can't forget about it if you don't know about it. You have to know it before you can forget it. Um, is that when we're at the water cooler tomorrow and we're sharing with one of our friends that we're not alone, the Holy Spirit is there too. How many times do we think, okay, we, we finally drummed up the courage to talk to somebody about something that's related to the gospel, and we did it, and it was a complete disaster, and we're glad it's over, and now we'd like to forget about it. Has anybody ever had that experience? 
boy, I don't know what happened back there, but it went bad. It's not the way I thought it was going to happen, but I don't want to repeat that experience anytime soon. Well, before we write off that experience, a lot of times it's those very experiences that God uses the most. And I think one of the reasons he does that, like in, 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 for preachers, it's like sometimes you preach a sermon and you're like, I don't know what that was about. I don't expect them to know what that is about. I think we're all agreed. We're glad it's over. But it's oftentimes those kinds of sermons where God works the most. And why does he do that? I think he does that to demonstrate to us and to continually remind us that, hey, I'm the one that's here building the church. Don't you go thinking it's because you're a great speaker. Don't you go getting a big head on your shoulders here. Uh, don't you go be thinking that it's because you're a great communicator or it's because you're this or you're that or you're this or you're that and blah, 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 blah. I'm the one that's building the church. But the truth for us right now, and I think this will help us a lot if we always remember this, is that if you do get that opportunity to share the gospel with one of your friends, be, be rest assured that the Holy Spirit was there long before you were. Who orchestrated the providence that's at play? You ever wonder? I mean, think about some of the best moments you've had in sharing your faith with somebody where you, you, you know, you walk in a room and they just happen to be there and they just happen to be alone and it just happens to be a good opportunity to share. Is that all coincidence? Is that all happenstance? Did that all just happen willy-nilly? No. We're pragmatists through and through. As much as we say we're not, we are. We're breathing pragmatic air, and we think that it's a disaster if we don't see immediate fruit from it. We think if, okay, if they're not converted right there on the spot and they're actively members of our church, then we failed, right? We, well, they, 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 should, they should be like, oh, they should be like uh, thoroughly sanctified by next week sometime, right? That's the way we would like it to be, isn't it? And yet, they seem to be unmoved so much of the time. Um, but then, you know, you do this long enough, and you'll come across somebody that you haven't seen in a long, long time. And you know what? Or it might be in Walmart, and someone sees you, and they yell all the way across the store, I got baptized. You're one young man. It's hard to even talk about this without tearing up. We witnessed to him in our music store, and, and Tammy was there. You were there. I mean, tears just come out of both of my eyes. We're just, me and her, just walking along, pushing a buggy, and we hear this familiar verse yell, I got baptized all the way across Walmart. This was a kid who, this was a kid as soon as you start talking about baptism would crawl under a table somewhere. He used to call me a philosopher. He used to say, oh, that Rick's a philosopher. He didn't know what else to call me, but I used to tell him about Jesus all the time. And I would think, well, you know, he just never come on board. Listen, everyone, I sent him a video about, him about three weeks ago, and he's still an active member of his church. He sent me a video in response and thanked me for the video. And after he watched the video, he's like, hey, thank you, brother. He called me brother. I'm not a philosopher no more. <laughs> this is how we need to, we really need to start looking at things like this, don't we? This isn't a drive-through window here. You know, it's more like planting an orchard. 
You know, when we put a seed in the ground, all we know about that seed right now is that we put it in the ground. We don't know what kind of tree is going to develop, but God does. In fact, God knows just how much fruit's going to come out of that tree. It's not our job to worry about how much fruit comes out of that tree. It's our job to put the seed in the ground and then depend upon God to make it fruitful, to make it grow, to make it prosperous. We make for, as Spurgeon used to say, listen, we make for a lousy Holy Spirit. I think he was funny. I think, I do think he would have been funny to listen to. Um, But anyway, let's continue. We're not far. He says, um, uh, he will bear witness about me. That is the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 26. And in verse 27, he says, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then he says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Look what they'll do. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Why is it important to be thrown out of the synagogue? would have been an awful, an awful experience in this culture. We, we can't grasp that because people get, you know, ex, excommunication when it hardly ever happens anymore at all. People just drive down the street and they get coddled by the church down the street. So it's, to us it doesn't, but that isn't how things worked in this culture. They're going to throw you out of the synagogue. The hour is coming, this is verse 2, whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Whoa. I got a quick story if you're up for it that, you know, when I, this story just keeps coming to my mind over and over again as I look at this verse. You know, we were over and uh, me and a friend of mine were over at the Diamond in East Liverpool sharing faith just with whoever would listen to us. And we had a lot of people that were listening to us on that. It was a beautiful day. It was a day a lot like this. And it wasn't super, super hot, and there were a lot of people out, and we're just telling them about Jesus. And we really had a nice rhythm going on that day. Next thing I know, I hear my friend say, hey, Rick, come here for a minute. And there's this guy that's wanting to argue about baptism. And as soon as I got over, I'm like, oh, boy, you know. And I really just wanted to get away from him because so many people were we're, we're not... You know, we didn't come here to argue with you about baptism. I wanted to get away from him. I wanted to get my friend away from him, and we wanted to get back to what we were doing, but he wouldn't leave us alone. So we decided, okay, let's just move on. There were a lot of people around the campus of uh, Kent State University. Donald liked this story. So we decided to go over there, and we're over there, and there's all these co- must have been class let out because all these, all these college students come out. You know, they're the ones with the backpacks, you know? And uh, so we start talking to them, and we had a little crowd of them around us. They were listening, especially to my friend. He's really, I mean, he's really a great communicator of the gospel. And they're really listening to him. And this guy, the baptism guy, he runs into into the university, and the next thing you know, we're being asked to leave. We got kicked out. Why did we get kicked out? Because this guy went and complained. Now, I would have no problem with this, if it weren't for this one fact. Do you know who this guy is or was? One of the local preachers over there. Yeah. First, he tried to, he tried to divert us by getting us into an argument about baptism. 
I'm not saying baptism isn't important, but this isn't what we've come here to do. It's really obvious. We are reaching out to lost people who do not know about Jesus, and we're telling them about Jesus. Can we put our differences on about baptism aside? His argument was that you had to be baptized in order to be saved. That's what he kept giving us. Finally, he told us that if we're going to be out on the street teaching the gospel, we need to go back and, and learn the gospel better. That's what this guy told us. And then off he goes. He goes off to uh, Kent State, and he, he, we had to leave. We were asked to leave. We didn't want any, we weren't causing any trouble with anyone. We weren't, if you wanted to talk to us, that was fine. If, if you didn't want to talk to us, hey, you have a blessed day. But the people that were gathered around us really did want to talk. And it got disrupted. And here's my point. It was the religious that shut it down. And that's what we see here in verse 2. Whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. These guys don't believe in baptism exactly the way I believe in baptism, so we're shutting them down. Forget the fact that there's college students gathered around who are hearing about Jesus Jesus says in verse 4, and I'll close with these words, he said, I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. Lisa and your friends, the pregnancy center, hold on to this little phrase right here, their hour. Because this is the thing, you know, when Satan's hour came, that was when Jesus was being crucified, wasn't it? Oh, we got him now. But what was actually happening as Jesus was being crucified? He was being soundly defeated, wasn't he? He can no longer accuse the child of God any longer because the child of God, the sins of the child of God have been dealt with on the cross. The accuser has nothing upon which he can accuse with anymore. He has been dealt with. He has been defeated. And it's interesting the way Jesus puts that. When their hour comes, you may remember what I have told you. Their hour may come where they go and they trash a pregnancy center. Their hour may come, but listen, it's going to be an hour of judgment. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your amazing truth. We thank you, O oh Father, for these words that comfort us, Father. They comfort all who desire to uh, to walk behind you and be faithful to the truth and share the gospel and lead people to, to you, O oh Lord. These are words of comfort to us, O oh Lord, that when we're met with persecution and we're met with scorn and we're met with hatred, may we always be reminded that this is not something strange that's happening to us, but it's something that you made really clear would happen. And may we recognize that ultimately, Lord, that this hatred and animosity and scorn is not against us, but it's against you. You made that so clear to us, O oh Lord. And may we also be reminded that, Lord, as you went to the cross, you didn't go to die for people who love you. You went to die for people who hate you. And, O oh Father, make us after that stripe that we too, O oh Lord, would be willing to be spent uh, for the same, O oh Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.